Hey, and welcome to the Frequency Conversations podcast, where we talk about the kingdom of God invading every space in every way. My name is Jeshua, and today I'm sitting down with Katya Adams. She's one half of the Frequency Founders um, to talk about leadership. Um, This is going to be our third episode, kind of a short series on leadership. And this episode, I just thought it'd be fun to ask Katia a bunch of random questions. <laughs> um, some of these are questions that people have asked in the past, um, and some of them are just things that I thought would be really valuable to our listeners to learn about leadership. Um, Katia right now is the leader of a church plant called The Table Boston, and she's led churches in the past, and so she's got great insight specifically on leadership. Um, You'll get to hear about some of her favorite books and resources and what mentorship means to her. I think it's a fun podcast. As always, she comes in with some surprising answers. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. We are back again with the Frequency Conversations podcast. (laughs) It's just our two voices, me and Katia, once again today um, for another episode and we're going to finish up uh, a three-part series we did on leadership. Um, we did a couple of episodes about leadership in marriage and church leadership. But uh, this time, I just wanted to ask Katia some... It's going to be like spitfire questions, just bam, 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 around leadership. Okay, I'm ready. Um, so I've got a few fun, little fun questions that will help us get to know you, and I think it'll really help... People, um, just get a look into your your leader leadership brain. Okay. <laughs> so it should be fun. No, <laughs> no need to be nervous. You look nervous over there. I know. I'll try to dig up my leadership brain. It's been a long day, but I'm going to try to bring it out. Come on. All right. I'll start with an easy one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Easy so, so what books have shaped your life the most? Oh, great question. I mean, I'm going to assume that I don't need to say the Bible. Um, We um, (laughs) will agree that that's a pretty good book. Um, Okay, some of my all-time favorites, G.K. Chesterton, Orthodoxy. Oh, my goodness. I love that book. It's Mm. a short book. If you've not read it, do yourself a favor right now. Just pause this podcast. (laughs) Go onto Amazon. By G.K. I'm actually reading it right now. The Are Kindle you? version is like less than a dollar. Okay. Oh, amazing. Cheap. Are you enjoying it? Yeah, so okay. far. Yeah, it's it's an incredible book. A lot of modern day apologetics is based on that book. Mm. Um, it's So G.K. Chesterton, he wrote this book. Um, he was a journalist, if I'm not mistaken. And he, he was kind of publicly... Um, uh, kind of, uh, what's the word, mocked for being a Christian. And so he wrote this book as his response to that mocking, uh, why, why it was perfectly reasonable and logical, and in fact, the most logical thing for him to be a Christian. It is a brilliant book. And um, oh, some of my most favorite quotes to use in sermons come from that book. So yes, G.K. Chesterton. Um, one of the things I really loved about that book is that it gave me another layer of kind of intellectual grounding for the gospel. Um, Sometimes we can focus on the faith element of being Christians and, you know, we encounter Jesus and we have faith in him, but there is such a beautiful 
intellectual, historical reality of the mm. gospel. It's yeah. it's not just faith. It is intellectually a hundred percent satisfying, and it is the most reasonable thing to believe mm. in God when you study the facts and when you uh, study from a logical perspective. And that's what I loved about that book. It just strengthened my faith because it gave me another layer and another aspect of why being a Christian makes the most sense on earth. Mm -hmm. um, another book I love. Now, this is a contentious one in our team because no one else seems to love this book. <laughs> I think I know what you're about to say. <laughs> this is a book that I recommend to every single person who works with us. And um, I've not yet had any luck with anyone agreeing with me, but anyway, it is a great book. And it is a book by G.K. Beale, and it is called The Temple and the Church's Mission. I love this book. Look, it's it is an academic read. So it is a, it is a mission, as I like to call it. The book itself is a mission. Um, G.K. Beale, if you are listening, we think you are awesome. Um, no, it is an absolutely phenomenal academic book, but it gave me an incredible mm. understanding of how the temple motif is used in the Bible right from Eden all the way through to Revelation. Yeah. And it, it's just profound. It opened my eyes to the one story that is all the way through mm. the Bible. And just again and again, how the temple is what is referenced in all these different moments, in the garden, in the um, tent of meeting, in the actual temple, in the people of God, in Jesus, in the city of Jerusalem, right at the end times. It, it's just a phenomenal, powerful book. And so if you like um, kind of more academic reads, um, G.K. Beale, um, the Temple and the Church's Mission. That's a mm. really good one. He does do one that is um, the same book, essentially, but not the academic version. Yeah, I've uh, read that one. Um, it's the... I did look this God up. God Among Us. Right? Yes, The God Who Dwells Among the Us. The God Who Dwells Among Us. I think that's what that's, it is. That's incredible. Yeah, that's the more layperson's <laughs> vibe, um, which I enjoyed so much. It's, it is a really incredible... Um, book okay sure. so you guys have the two different options on yeah. that one um another one that i it's actually from the same series it's an ivp i think it's ivp it might not be anyway no i think i'm pretty sure it is i'll, an I'll IVP post series. links and everything oh, in the description to this so that people can get the exact book you're Perfect. talking about yeah because <laughs> the, the, it's the same series as the temple and the church's mission this one's by trevor burke and um, it's called Adopted into God's Family. I found that book phenomenal in giving me an understanding of sonship. There are some really, really great books about sonship. Uh, you can read like, Brennan Manning. Any of his stuff will be brilliant on sonship mm, and understanding yeah. the father heart of God. Um I want to say Jack Frost. Is that his name? Yeah, yeah Jack yeah. Frost. Any of his books, brilliant on sonship and the father heart of God. I've read all of those too. Uh, what I loved about Trevor Burke's book was that, again, it's a little bit more academic. It's um, it's very much looking in depth at different verses and different um, kind of ancient thoughts around sonship and adoption. Um, I, I just found it fascinating and it really brought me into a closer encounter with God as my father. I said 100% recommend that. 
Um, anyway, there's awesome. a few yeah. for you, Joshua. <laughs> I love that. That'll keep people busy for quite a while. <laughs> yes, um, many of these books are quite thick. So. Yes, awesome. <laughs> and of course, my favorite author, I should have said this right from the beginning, apologies, Julian Adams. There's a man yes. called Julian Adams who is, uh, I mean, I know I sound like I'm joking, but genuinely, if you haven't read any of Julian's book books, pick them up. He is amazing at unpacking mm-hmm. the prophetic in a way that empowers everybody to prophesy, everybody to hear the voice of God. Um, yeah, absolutely love that. Yes, I love anyway. that. <laughs> awesome. My next question is, um, can you think of anyone who's mentored you and how how did that change your life? Mentorship or discipleship, whichever word you want to use for that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've had people who've mentored me on and off over the years. Uh, I haven't had anyone who's been my official mentor, let's <laughs> yeah. say. Um, I know now, especially in this kind of generation in Christianity, there's a lot of talk about um spiritual fathers and and there's lots of people wanting to be fathered and feeling like they won't be able to achieve all that God has for them if they don't find someone who will is willing to be their mm, spiritual father yeah. honestly I mean my my earthly mom and dad are amazing believers mm-hmm. they did great in raising me they gave me an incredible foundation in God um but that they were my earthly parents and they did great, but you know, they weren't taking that spiritual fathering role necessarily in that kind of official sense over me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never had anyone else who's, who's kind of had that official role in my life. Um, and God's been really kind to me and has, um, <laughs> uh, brought me, uh, you know, so far along the journey of what he's promised me. And so I just want to say that before I get into people who mentored me, because I think there is sometimes an undue pressure on Christians to find, you know, some young, young people I've spoken to who are really nervous about this and are looking and are desperate for someone to father them as if that is going to be the pivotal thing to see them come into their destiny. And I just want to say that hasn't been my experience. I don't have an official nominated spiritual father who oversees my spiritual life. Um, I have Jesus and he's really amazing at doing that, by the way. Um, But I have had people who have, uh, who God has brought um, into my life at different points who maybe they weren't even aware that they were mentoring me, but they've championed me and they've encouraged me and they've spoken into my life. Um, I think of uh, guys like Andrew Wilson and Mick Taylor, who are dear friends of mine, who people who I really honor and respect, who um, years ago now, when I was kind of in my early 20s, uh, recognized a teaching gift in me and um, championed that in me, gave me opportunities. They maybe, I I don't know if they'd ever hear this, but uh, I think if they did hear me saying this, they would be maybe surprised that I see them in this light. But I do because they they were so kind and encouraging. And that really um, encouraged the teaching gift to come out of me. People who believed in me, who opened doors for me, and who just kept speaking destiny over me. 
Um, I think of people like Stu and Livy Gibbs, who um, in my mid-20s, I joined them. They were planting a church in southeast London, and they were kind enough to invite me. Well, I asked, and they were <laughs> kind enough to accept uh, me coming, which in itself is a funny story. But anyway, that's I digress. Um, we'll they did. <laughs> yes, at some point, I'll tell you about that story. They did eventually accept for me to come on their team. And... Um, and they really poured so much of their lives into me. I don't know if they'd see themselves as official mentors, but the reality is they encouraged the destiny that God had spoken into me. And they they gave me courage to pursue that. I love that. And I really think that that's all that mentorship is meant to be. And that means that you and I can be mentors unofficially for lots of people, that we can speak courage into them, that we can uh, recognize the destiny that's on them. This isn't about flattering people, but Mm. this is about recognizing a genuine gift that God has put in people's lives and then helping them fan that into flame, encouraging them, reminding them of that gift again and again. And if we have the ability to do so, giving them opportunities to grow in that gift uh, so that uh, I love the idea that as people of God, whenever we come into contact with others, uh, we can uh, help push them just that little bit further on their journey yeah. in God. That's that's really what being part of the body is about, mm-hmm. um, helping each other and encouraging each other and pouring courage into one another. I love that. That's a great uh, perspective on mentorship. Alrighty, my next question is, how did you develop the skill of speaking in front of groups, engaging, um, engaging people? That's one of your your strengths um, that I think most people can recognize on your life. So I'd love to just hear some some tips. Yeah, great question. Um, so I started speaking in front of groups of people when I was in my teens. Um, I hope not a single one of those messages has been recorded. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go on a Google search yeah, later. Please don't. <laughs> um, uh, You know, God spoke to me when I was very young about being a woman who was to be immersed in the word of God and um, being called to speak and to teach others. Um, And when I got those words, I, I took them seriously enough to start trying to prepare sermons Uh, whenever I read the Bible. And I remember being Mm. in my early teens and I would read passages and then I would think, if I was going to preach this, if I had to preach this, how would I break this passage down to preach it? And that just became part of my um, reading practice. Um, I wouldn't do it every time, but a lot of times when I read passages, I I would be thinking in addition to, Um, inviting God to kind of feed me for me, I'd be often thinking through the lens of how on earth, and you know, some of the trickier passages, I'd I'd be grappling with it. How on earth is anyone meant to preach from this? But I I wholeheartedly believe that every part of the Bible is, is good food. And so I'd often be looking at passages and thinking, how, how would I preach? And so over a number of years, I, I trained my brain, if you like, Mm. to look at the Bible, not just as kind of beautiful encounter moments, which it is. And I love that. And there's often when I read the Bible now, I 
actively switch off my brain uh, from the preaching element so that I'm not distracted by how would I preach this and I can just Hmm. enjoy Jesus. Um, But in those early years, it did me a lot of good to to keep training that muscle in me and to um, look at passages from the perspective of if I had to preach. Now, that was long before I had to preach any of those passages, but I still have now some notes, um, handwritten notes and journals and things like that of sermons that I that I wrote notes <laughs> for that I'll probably never preach. But it's just a beautiful thing. It's a long history with Jesus of digging into his word. And, and honestly, that's probably, there's lots of other things and I'll say some of them now, but that, that's probably the single most important exercise in growing my gift. Yeah. Um, because that muscle is, I think, the hardest one to train. You can teach people speaking skills, communication skills. You can teach people how to be, uh, you know, maintain eye contact and not rely on their notes whole, like fully when they're on stage. Those things you can teach people. They can learn that. But the the kind of the perspective, the lens to see the Bible and to kind of instinctively have an understanding of how to break a passage in order to teach others, that's harder to teach, I think. Um, and so if the, if you're listening to this and you're someone who wants to grow in a teaching gift, I'd really encourage you, start writing sermons, even if you never, ever preach the mm. exact ones that you write. It will start strengthening a muscle in you. Read copious amounts of scripture. And when you're reading, sometimes just encounter Jesus and enjoy him, but sometimes have the more kind of analytical side of your brain switched on. How would I preach this? If someone forced me to preach this tomorrow, how would I break this passage up so that people would be able to come away with great food from what I've been reading? Um, And if you do that regularly over time, I think then preaching becomes something that becomes instinctive because as you read, you just see, you see the passage breaking up in front of you in a way that you could preach it. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe an unusual way to go about it, but that's that's what I'd say. I love that. That's awesome. Cool. I think my last question um, is this one might, might be a little bit more difficult. Give it some thought, but what, um, what leadership skills did you find the most difficult to develop? Ooh, that is a tricky question, <laughs> Joshua. Thank you. Thank you for finishing with Sorry a tricky about one. That. <laughs> <clears throat> Do you know, I think one of the hardest ones that I had to develop is the conviction that. Now, I don't know if this is a leadership skill, but anyway, we'll go with it. No, this is great. Anything. (laughs) The conviction that because God had called me to be a leader, other people would follow. By that, I mean um, the Mm. belief, enough belief in the promise of God over me um, so that it would not only validate my following what he'd said, but it would intrinsically allow for others to follow me because that's part of what he spoke over me. Does that make sense? Is this yeah. making sense? No, I'm that, saying it? that does make sense. I think that took me a long time to, be- hmm. to develop that conviction that I didn't have to make that happen. Hmm. I didn't, of course, le- read leadership skills books. Of course, 
you know, grow in that. Of course, learn to lead yourself with integrity, learn to use your time wisely, learn to um, teach yourself, read copious amounts. That's Those are really good leadership lessons for yourself. Of course, learn how to steward the people around you, to speak well to them, to encourage them, not terrify them. All of those are easy skills that you can find in any leadership textbook. But for me, the hardest thing was to believe that what God had said over me was so powerful and so self-evident that not only would it transform my life, but it would cause others to follow me because Mm. his word over me was leadership. His word over me was pastoring others. His word over me was taking others further. And, um, that took a long time for me to work on. And honestly, what I would do is I I still have this. I've got a document of the prophetic words that God has spoken over me. I don't know if we've said this in one of the podcasts or not, but whenever I started doubting whether I was, I could do what he'd said or whether anyone else would follow me, <laughs> I would start reading and rereading those prophetic words until that was the yeah. only thing that was in my head, and then I'd be able to keep going. And honestly, being really frank, even in this journey of planting a church in Boston now, it it triggers all those insecurities of, am I really who God said I am? Will people really come? Hmm. Will, Will this church actually grow? And I have to keep reminding myself, I'm doing this not because... I think I've got it in me and people won't follow me simply because they think I'm an amazing leader, but people will follow me because unless God is a liar, people will follow me. Does that make sense? If he said I'm a leader, then that must mean to be a leader, people will follow. And I might not understand exactly why they're following. I might not see it myself, but it really comes down to this. Is God telling me the truth or is he a liar? And if he's telling me the truth, then I've got to trust him both for the followers as well as for his um, grace in my life to make me all that he's made me to be. Wow. that's a, I love that. That's a great way to finish. <laughs> a did, little bit different you from your so question, well. but anyway. <laughs> you did so well for surprise questions. Thank, Thank you. you so much. All right. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to Frequency Conversations. Just a reminder, if you are looking for way more resources from Julian and Katia, join their online partnership, which is a donation-based subscription model. So you get to choose how much you want to give, but you get access to everything that Julian and Katia have to offer online, including e-courses on the prophetic, um, Bible studies from Katia, and devotional series. I think you'll really love it if you are passionate at all about the kingdom of God invading every space in every way.